We are recording this on Thursday, February 11th. It is a balmy 30 degrees outside in Sleeting, and it seems the legislature has taken a similar pace. Both chambers are adjourned until Tuesday the 16th. After recording last week, the governor's budget was introduced. Some very, very good highlights in there, including that it's balanced without suggesting tax increases, keeping Texas safe component, including verifying qualified police officers, as well as developing a curriculum for those peace officers to make them better serve our communities. Now, Senate Finance has been meeting all week. On Tuesday and Wednesday, they've been discussing Article 1, which is general government. And today they're discussing Article 4, which is the judiciary. Currently, we have a meeting scheduled for tomorrow for overflow business, as well as a redistricting meeting focusing on the Houston area. Now, next week, the Senate Finance Committee will be back in effect from Tuesday through Thursday, and they're going to be discussing some very, very interesting elements of the budget. Starting with Tuesday, which will cover Article 5, which is public safety. The public safety includes the vast panoply of prisons, police, and th other things at the state level that essentially work to keep Texans safe. So DPS will be an interesting component with the governor's budget suggesting added capital security as well as border security. Also, the Department of Criminal Justice is going to be an interesting point of discussion. Currently, just since the pandemic started, the prison population of the state is down 14%, probation is down 6%, and parole is up a little over 1,000 from that as well. Now, the question will obviously be raised, well, what do we do with this 14% reduction in capacity? Will that redound to a 14% reduction in beds available? And will those beds be mothballed or will they be taken offline entirely? And these are all elements of the budget that have yet to be discussed. The Juvenile Justice Department has had similar trends. The juvenile probation is down 42% from February to January of this year. Juvenile probation, I'm sorry, juvenile population is down a quarter, 25%. And all this, while well, we start these discussions on what are we going to do with 17-year-olds in the criminal justice system? When does the parole review for these 17-year-olds and those younger actually occur? And these are elements that very well may come up next week. Now, obviously, those last two items are elements of general law that will not be made within the budget, but it will have budgetary implications, be sure. Board of Pardons and Paroles, commissions of jail on jail standards will be heard as well. The county jail population, interestingly enough, if you think that because the courts, as was mentioned today by uh, Chief Justice Heck, that the court's reduction in capacity is slowing the criminal justice system capacity, and that's going to ripple out all throughout the system, you'd figure that the stop would be right there at the county jail level. Well, county jail population is down 5% the same period. So that's another issue that we'll have to be discussing within the area of the Commission on Jail Standards. Now, the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission's up as well, as well as the Commission on Law Enforcement, or TCOL. TCOL is the regulatory agency that oversees the policing credentialing, as well as the departments. Now, that is actually up for sunset review. Every 10 years or over the course of every 10 years, each agency must go before the legislature and justify their existence. It staggers, so only a fifth of them is heard every legislative session. So we have T. Cole coming up this biennial session. 
We also have the governor calling for additional training that would fall under the purview of TECL. Will we see a lot of this discussion play out before the Senate Finance Committee? Well, there's only one way to see, and that'll be on Tuesday of next week. Wednesday, we're on into Article 6, that's Natural Resources. This will cover the Railroad Commission and the Commission on Environmental Quality, to name a few. Before moving on to Articles 7 and 8 on Thursday, Article 7 is everybody's favorite, uh, TxDOT, Department of Transportation, as well as the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles. Uh, we also discuss in that day, we're going to discuss the Workforce Commission before moving on into the eighth article of the budget, which is Regulatory Affairs. Big items there are going to be State Office of Administrative Hearings, or SOA, the Texas Medical Board, and the Texas Board of Nursing. You know, here's where we see a lot of push and pull about scope of practice. You know, are we going to let these advanced credentialed nurses uh, have a wider scope of practice, you know, engage in certain elements of telehealth without having to have that doctor sign off? All these are opportunities for discussion, even though, again, this is budgetary, not necessarily what actually happens in general law. And speaking of budgets, regulations, and all that, joining me today is Vance Ginn. Vance, welcome. Thanks, Derek. It's a pleasure to be with you. Vance, before we get started, how about you tell us a little about yourself? Well, I'm um, the chief economist here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. I've been here for a little while, uh, working on state budgets, regulatory affairs issues, and occupational licensing. You kind of name it. Uh, I've done a little bit of it here at the foundation. Um, took a little hiatus Worked at the White House as the Associate Director for Economic Policy at the Office of Management and Budget during the Trump administration. And now I'm glad to be back and be back with you, Derek. We always have a good time working on policy together. So basically, you touch anything that has to do with money. Lucky that's only a few parts of the state government. Yeah, just a few of them. <laughs> well, well, Vance, let's dive right in, specifically with the, the situation we're facing. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we have Senate Finance met all week this week, meeting all week next week, uh, trying to deal with the situation surrounding COVID. What is that situation look like at the moment? You know, Derek, it's been quite a year when you think about where we've been, where our families have been, where just the great Texans all across our state have been over the last year. I can't even believe it's been a year now. Um, but if you think back, we, we had this great kind of, you know, wave of COVID go across the country. And I remember being at the White House when this all was started um, back in February, March of last year and looking at the trends and, and thinking about what are the economic effects going to be on the overall economy, you know, going to the situation room a couple of times and, and talking about these things directly. Um, and to think about where we've been over that time, and we've seen one wave of COVID cases come through, and then a second wave, um, and, and, and what's, what that's done, not only to our, our families, our routines, but also the economy, right? And the interactions that we have with one another and where we work. Many people are working remotely nowadays and when they otherwise had not. And some are just ready to get back to normal. And um, fortunately, what we have seen here recently is a pretty steady decline in hospitalizations, COVID-19 hospitalizations here in Texas. Um, things have certainly improved from a number of different factors. But I think one thing that we've uh, noted here recently and has been a noted change by um, the governor here in Texas, Greg Abbott, is to look at a more targeted approach to deal with the vulnerable populations uh, across the state in these different trauma service areas. And um, there are still many restrictions in place. Currently, 87% or sorry, 78% of Texans um, live in a trauma service area, which is just a community, kind of a, an overview of, of different cities across the state. 
um, that, that are with that 50% operating capacity by businesses based on their COVID-19 hospitalization rates. And once those start to go down, they can go up to 75%. But that's really where we're at right now, Derek. And so across the state, we're running about 50% capacity as far as the economy goes. But a better news with the COVID-19 situation. And I hope that continues as many people are getting the vaccine. Well, at least that's trending positive. So let's talk about why we have you here to begin with, the budget. So we have our what's known as the BRE, or the Biennial Revenue Estimate. How about you walk listeners through how that works, what it's looking like, and what it means going forward? Yeah, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great thing to talk about right now because the COVID-19 situation Made, made this an unprecedented situation. Texas Comptroller Glenn Hager has used that word a number of times, the amount of uncertainty that's in the economy. Um, and until we can fully open again, our economy uh, and our livelihoods won't be back to where they were before. As even today, the unemployment rate um, sits at 7.2% in Texas, which is about double what it was last February and February of 2020. So we've seen um, a number of people who have lost their jobs. And so when you think about that, that influences um, the economic activity and it influences the amount of tax collections, whether they whether it comes from sales taxes, which is what dominates sales tax collections in the state, given that we don't have a personal income tax, thank God. Uh, we also have a constitutional amendment against a statewide property tax here in Texas. So the main source of tax collections for the state is from sa- uh, sales taxes, right? And so if sales taxes are going to slow down because there's not as much economic activity from the COVID situations, the shutdowns by government and things of that nature, um, you're going to see a huge hit to the, the, the state's budget picture. And the comptroller comes with, out with this at the beginning of every session, usually right at the beginning, um, maybe the first or second day. And he lays out the biennial revenue estimate, which gives you it's kind of like the governor of your car, right? You can only go so fast. Well, we have a balanced budget amendment here in Texas, a constitutional amendment, um, just like 48 other states do. And what it does is says, look, you can't appropriate more than this, according to Article 3 of our Constitution. And um, he laid this out and said, look, it's $112 billion in general revenue and about $270 billion for the total overall budget. And so that gives the legislators an idea of what their budget can be. In fact, it's not even an idea. This is the maximum that they can actually appropriate. So it's really important to start off session thinking about where our taxpayer dollars are going. And therefore, the next step is how will it then be allocated and reallocated throughout the economy by the legislature? So let's hit on that. Let's talk about the budget. We know how much the legislature has to spend. How does that look compared to years past? And how does that look going forward with some of the budget proposals we've seen laid out? Yeah, Derek, I mean, you know, the the budget really influences all of us, right? Um, It's not only from our tax dollars that is funding it that we just talked about, but then you get into, okay, is it going to healthcare? Is it going to education? The transportation, the different areas that influence each one of our lives. And so what we've seen over the last three sessions by the Texas legislature has been pretty remarkable, given the trend that we had before that. Just just a little bit of background real quick is that the five budgets before um, the 2015 session, the average growth rate on a biennial basis, which we have a two-year budget cycle here in Texas, um, was 12%, 12% growth rate. Whereas population growth plus inflation, a good metric to use to measure the average taxpayer's ability to pay, was only 7%. So we were growing massively faster as a budget. 
as a state budget compared to average taxpayers' ability to pay. Well, since 2015, when we put in place what's called the conservative Texas budget here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, since then, and some legislative changes along the way, the growth rate has went down to 5.5%, half of what it was before, and, it, and the population growth plus inflation was 6.3%. So we've stayed within the average taxpayer's ability to pay. And so what's been nice about this legislative session is not only did the Legislative Budget Board, kind of one of the big groups here in Texas at the legislature, um, they determine the state's spending limit and they use population growth and inflation. The third session in a row they've done this, even when our personal, our, 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 um, our state spending limit is based on personal income growth. They're actually using population and inflation. And what, what they've done so far in the House and the Senate, their budgets are at $251 billion. That's the, that's the all-funds budget, the total amount of appropriations for healthcare, education, transportation, and everything else. And when you subtract out the $6 billion that they're providing for property tax relief, which is not gr going to grow government, then you get to $245 billion, which is below our conservative Texas budget of $246.8 billion. And that's really the metric that we're looking at. So, so far, Derek, we're sitting in good, good, a good place right now. Now we've got to just make sure that it stays that way throughout the rest of session. And you couldn't have said it better. You couldn't have said it better. That's why I think plaudits are due both to uh, Chairwoman Nelson and Governor Abbott, and uh, as well as uh, Chairman Greg Bonning going forward. Just we have a, what seems to be a groundswell of a realistic understanding surrounding the need for a conservative Texas budget in this case. But let's talk about yeah. what happens after the conservative Texas budget. So I know something you're working on here is the Opportunity Project. That is something that's going to be oriented towards basically making sure Texas rockets into that recovery phase, uh, you know, in the post-COVID era. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's another thing that we're really excited about here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation is figuring out how can we, look, we have all these dollars that are going out of taxpayers' pockets, going into government, and then it's going into, it's being redistributed, if you will, to specific areas of our economy. And a lot of it is through the government's programs, um, whether it be Medicaid, whether it be education, but something that we really need to make sure of is that those dollars are being used wisely. And ultimately, what we really want, right, is good government so that those dollars that are going to these programs are actually going for the intended purpose and to the intended people. And so with the Opportunity Project, it's a, it's a way to find path. It's a path to the dignity of work, self-sufficiency, and, and more prosperity. And how do you do that? Well, we need to improve workforce development here in the Lone Star State. We need to find better ways to connect the employees with the employers and have good job matches along the way. It sounds easy, but it's difficult in a, in a state as large and as vibrant and robust as the Texas economy. And so it's something that we really need to improve, such things as you know paid apprenticeships at the private sector. You know, that's, a, that's a big one. Looking at career and technical education instead of just a pipeline to four-year degrees that usually just racks people up in massive amounts of debt. That, that I know about, and I think you know about a little bit too, Derek. Um, and, and I think those are, are really important to think about the future of where our workforce is going to be. The second big bucket with the Opportunity Project is reducing barriers to entrepreneurship. You know, we have a lot of these things called occupational licenses, whether it be for cosmetologists, for emergency medical technicians, and a number of other areas. It's supposed to be for your health and safety, but oftentimes it's all about um, 
bringing about some sort of monopoly, right? Like we're increasing barriers for people to get into certain areas. So that way you can artificially increase their wages within those specific industries or sectors of the economy. And those, that just shouldn't be there. That shouldn't be a part of government. It's not a good role for government. And so we need to start weeding those out where we can. And that's something else that we're really looking at. Not only that, but also regulations. And then the third part of this is um, reforming safety nets. How can we get safety nets to better work for those individuals that it's intended to work for, right? How can we get them to be more self-sufficient? Oftentimes what we have are programs like TANF, for example, um, the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, where, where the program really is set up to see how many people we can put on the program. And so what do you get when you set it up for that? Well, you get exactly that, more people on the program, when instead what we need to do is figure out how do, we, how do we count how many people move off the program permanently? That's really what we want. We, we have too many struggling Texans across the state, given how dynamic that we already are. And it's really unfortunate. And it's something that we're going into this in, with a different mindset. It, it's not about cutting the budget, which could be a side effect of this. It, it, it's really about helping these people who, who need the most help overall from a, from a, from a conservative approach to this um, that we've often over, over, oftentimes overlooked. And so, Derek, ultimately, we're trying to redefine the narrative about the path forward for Texas, which is going to take us into the next uh, decade, next years, centuries, uh, hopefully, uh, but allow us to be as most vibrant as possible so that we can let people prosper. You know, you mentioned both regulation, uh, regulations and licensure, and I think that we'd be remiss not to mention the, the great work that we're actually seeing out of uh, TDLR, both mm. from Commissioner Figueroa and uh, Executive Director Francis over there, just kind of the reorientation of what the body looks to do from being a barrier to entry for some folk to being a facilitator to entry uh, for some folk. And I think that you saw that last session in uh, HB 1342 uh, from Chair Leach and Allen. And I think that you're going to see similar, I would say, initiatives again as well. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. And, and, you know, when we're talking about the budget, we're talking about regulations, um, you know, Governor Abbott's also been a, a champion on these things. In his state of the state speech, he talked about um, we're going to have a balanced balance the budget without tax increases. I mean, that's huge. That puts the pressure on where it needs to be, which is spending. We don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. And so let's really focus on that. And at the same time, in his state of the state speech, he talked about, you know, we need any sort of regulations or occupational licenses that were waived or suspended or delayed or something along those lines, basically removed in some capacity um, during the COVID crisis. We need to relook at those. If they weren't good during a crisis, why should they be good during normal times? And so you're right. TDLR has done some great work on this. We've got some good champions within the legislature that are continuing to look at these items. You know, spending limits going to be important as well. You know, Matt, uh, Representative Matt, Matt Krause, um, HB 594, and Representative Tan Parker, HB 910, both of them have good spending limit bills that we need to, to use as well to, to have something in law that matches the conservative Texas budget. Excellent, Vans. Well, I thank you for joining me today, and I'd like to thank all of the listeners out there as well, and welcome to join us at www.texaspolicy.com slash LAA for information on the conservative Texas budget and many other issues. This is Dr. Derek Cohen, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>